James. We're uh, continuing our look at this book. We just started last week. Uh, Rick had an introductory sermon, just a big picture, and we're going to dive in, uh, looking at details and you know, really of, of the book, of this letter. Um, um, before I do that, I meant to say this. Um, you know, I was talking to. Uh, we just prayed for our missionaries. I was talking to Daniel Hightower, and um, he just he was at he. We, we talked, we had lunch, and then the next day he went to the uh, area meeting, like a meeting for, for the uh, RUF committee, for our presbytery. And in the report he heard there, was, there is now 170-something RUF ministries nationwide. And when I was just nine years ago, I think it was like 100. And when I started uh, in 2000. Uh, Eight, nine, somewhere in there. Yeah, I don't know. Time, right? Uh, it was like it was like sixty to seventy, and so just it's grown so fast, so quickly. So praise God for that. And the other cool thing is that none of those ministries are in deficit. They all are fully funded right now. It's the first time that's ever been that's ever happened. And I think it's because I stopped working there. Anyway, but <laughs> no, uh, fundraising is hard. Um, Ask Rick. He's doing that now. Um, but I just want to share that. That was just good news. I, it warmed my heart. Um, with that said, now let's look to James. We're looking at James uh, 1 through 18. Before I pray and read, just, you know, we, we, look, you know, we looked at James. We heard about the, who wrote it and when. One of the earliest letters, uh, the earliest New Testament letter written, we believe, by the, the brother of Jesus Christ, James, an elder in the church in Jerusalem. And um, he's writing to, he says, the 12 tribes of the dispersion. And so he's, I believe he's referencing not just Jews, but he's referencing the church. And he's identifying Jews and Gentiles with the 12 tribes of Israel. He's saying, if you are, you know, what does Paul go on to say? If you are a Christian, you are a son of Abraham, you are part of the church. He is equating the, the reality of being a Christian with being in the wilderness, being dispersed, needing, leaning upon God. We're like, we're like the, the, the Israelites in the wilderness, and he is making those connections. But we are, he's writing to Jews, he's also writing, I think, to the broader church, and they've been dispersed because of severe persecution and trials they're facing being Christians. So they've had to leave, they've had to go out from Jerusalem, and they're spreading throughout the, the Roman Empire. And so uh, there are some that say, well, he's just talking mainly to Jews. I think he's just, again, opening up, we're all part of the true Israel in Christ. And so a lot of people like this book of the Bible because they're like, man, here's a book where there's some clear, like, here's what you do. <laughs> here's, 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 the, here's what God wants you to do. This is how you live. And it's kind of how we want most of the Bible to be, you know. It's like the Proverbs, you go, how am I supposed to live? How are we supposed to talk? How are we supposed to act? How are we supposed to treat one another? Who are we supposed to be loving? How are we supposed to love them? I like this. Um, but it is not just a book about you get it together, you do the right thing. That's not what it is. It's, again, it's all by grace. It's God's work in and through us. It is to make us into a body of believers that reflect Jesus Christ. God has this goal for us. But this first part, this very first part of chapter 1, doesn't really get into the oughts, the how, what does it really look like to be, an, you know, uh, 
in Christ and to live in Christ. He talks to us about how he gets us there. It's not the, it's not the what you're to do, but it's how God gets us there. How he conforms us to his image. And so before he gets to the, the, the list of rules and how to live and how to love, how to be righteous, how does he make us Christ-like? How does he work that in us? And uh, you will see that as we read. So before we read, let's pray. Lord God, thank you so much for this, your word. Thank you for having, for being um, near us, for being um, intentional in our lives, for having a plan having a goal for each and every one of us and individually but also corporately. You are at work and we give you thanks. Uh, Help us to see that and um, to to rejoice in it um, as we read and learn um, more about you and about your plan for us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. James, a servant of God of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes in the dispersion, greetings. Count it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass, its flower falls and its beauty perishes, so also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast when under trial, for when he has stood the test he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. There's three points, three things to take away from this text. The first is... Trials are real, and so is God. Trials are real, and so is God. Second, trials reveal our need. Trials reveal our need. And thirdly, our joy is to be rooted in God's character and His goal for us. Our joy is rooted in God's character and His goal for us. So first, trials are real and so is God. How many of you just got stuck on that second verse? 
Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. And then you just kind of heard me just like, you know, like, you know, Charlie Brown. How many of you heard that and were immediately just like, I don't do that. (laughs) That sounds a little crazy. Count it all joy when you meet trials. Joy to the world. Shut up. I don't hear it. I don't hear it. Are there kids in here? I said the S word. I'm sorry. Um, I said shut up. But there's times, honestly, when you feel like when people are happy and happy in the Lord and you're going through something really hard and you're going, I don't want to hear it. And then, you know, I'm supposed to rejoice in the trial, so I'm, I'm experiencing the trial wrong because I was really believing I would find some joy in this suffering. Or that, you know, it's some kind of Jedi mind trick. You enjoy this. <laughs> you know, you, these aren't the droids you're looking for. You're enjoying the suffering. Rejoice in it. What does this mean? Well, first of all, I just want to say, um, if you feel like your faith is tested on a daily basis, it's okay. It's, it is. <laughs> You're not doing it wrong. Can I say that? If you feel the push and the trial and the test and the tension, that's the Christian life. You're not doing it wrong. That's important. Because he says, not only count it joy, but listen to what he says. He's going, there's going to be trials. Let's, let's, go, let's look at that first before we look at how do I count it joy. Let's look at the reality. There are going to be hard things. Your faith will be tested. You will struggle. There will be hard things that come as because of the fall, because of the fallen world, because of the sin of, of people around you, because of your own sin, because of your own temptation. There will be hard things you face. And I needed, I wish someone had told me this, and they probably did, I just couldn't hear it. If life is hard, the Christian life is hard, and that doesn't mean you're doing it wrong. It reminds me of one of my favorite lines from, um, uh, what's the name of the movie? I just blanked out. Oh, no. League of Their Own. Own. Thank you. You knew where I was going. (laughs) Worked together five years. League of Their Own. Uh, Y'all, if you haven't seen it, you need to. Um, I think it's Tom Hanks' greatest performance. Anyway, uh, that's saying a lot. But he says, you know, one of the ladies who's playing baseball during World War II while the soldiers are away, that's the the plot. She goes, I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm quitting. He goes, why? She said, it just got too hard. And he's like, hard? Hard? Hard is what makes it so good. If it, if baseball wasn't hard, everybody would do it. And it's a great line, you know. Baseball fans are like, yeah. But it's, it's the Christian life. It's, it's not... I used to really think, most of my life, if, if I really believed enough and was worshiping right and reading my Bible every day, I would grow, grow, grow. That's a VBS song I remember. Um, and I wouldn't struggle. But no, it is a struggle. And there's trials. And, and, he's, and James, the elder James, the brother of Jesus, who, who, who walked with Jesus, who, who went from unbelief to, to belief and led the church, he's going, there are going to be hard things. There are going to be trials. And he's talking to a group of people who are what? Being dispersed because of persecution. Now, there are it's real political trial and persecution they're enduring. And he's saying there is real hurts and real hard things. And, and that's going to come. But he also says there's a purpose to it. That the trials and the tests that we face, they're not wasted. 
It's not just God letting go of the will. The trials are real, but so is God. And He has a purpose. What's the purpose of trials and tests? To make you grow, to make sure you're learning, you're growing, you're, you're getting there. Why do teachers give tests? To make your lives miserable? Some of the teenagers are going, yes, that sounds right. No. Why are you given the test? To see if you know it. How much have you learned? And if you don't do well, what does it let you know? There's more to learn. I need to go back over the material before the midterm or the final, whatever. Right? It, it, it's to show what? The gaps, the deficits. Why do auto manufacturers build a perfectly good car and crash it into a wall? Why do they do that? Y'all seen that? You know, they'll do it. why to show. Okay, where where is the design flaw? How can this be safer? We we said we built a safe vehicle. How do you really know? We're going to crash into the wall and see how the little you know crash test dummy does. Um, and you know they used that was what is that the eighties when they had the seatbelt ad the crash test dummy would talk to you. I remember as a kid, and that was kind of frightening. It was weird. Um, he get thrown out of the windshield. I wish I wore my seatbelt. I'm like ooh, mm, click. Anyway, but you know that it 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 was alarming. Um, and and so, but that's why we test. That's why there are trials for safety to make sure that 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 a product is ready to go on the market to make sure that the student knows the material. God puts us in these trials so that we have to look to Him and grow in our faith. Look, and He says, become steadfast. We could translate that word steadfast, consistent, having endurance, or just another, not really a word, but I like it, stickability. That we're going to be faithful and steadfast the more we go through these trials and tests. There's a point to it. There's a, there's a, they're not wasted. God is, doesn't have His hand off the wheel, but He's actually orchestrating and ruling and overseeing our lives even in the hard thing. And He says that steadfastness, that more we have to turn to God and the more we have to look to Him when we're struggling... Produces steadfastness and ultimately what, uh, what does what? Brings us to a point where we're perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. That's God's heart for you. That's what He wants for you. For you to be perfect and complete and lacking in nothing. Does that sound good? Does that sound good? How many of you have, have to-do lists? Any to-do list people? How many of you finished the to-do list before the end of the day? Very, I mean, unless you're like me and you put one thing on there. That, that's the key, y'all. Just one, one thing. And then maybe. No, but you might have 80 things. To have that thing, every box checked, to be complete. Wow. What? Wow. Can't do it, right? You can't do it. You can't do it. But God's goal for you and me is that we'd be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. We're going to come back, we're going to look at that more detail here in our third point. But there are real trials. Just because you're struggling doesn't mean you're doing it wrong. Doesn't mean God's abandoned you. And it doesn't mean God's not there. Your trials and your struggles, if it's at work, if it's with your children, if it's in your marriage, James says, don't be surprised. James says, don't be floored. And don't think you're doing it wrong and don't think God has forgotten about you. Your trials are real and so is God. Second, 
trials reveal our need. When you are going through something hard, what do you feel? Well, the Bible says I'm supposed to feel joy. Okay, we'll get to that in a minute. Okay, we'll get there at the end. Okay, what do you really feel? How does it really feel? You feel weak? You feel confused? You feel insufficient? Right? Anxious? Maybe depressed? Sad? Overwhelmed? All those things, right? And, and sometimes, and I've, I've, been, I've done this so many times, I can't even count. I'll be going through something hard, going through a conflict, going through an internal processing. You know, it could be a, something everybody knows about, something that's just personal. I go through it and I go, God, why are you doing this to me? Why are you making me feel weak, insufficient, confused, not up to the task. I don't like to feel this way. Why are you doing this to me? But the thing is, the trials that God brings to our life, the tests, they don't create deficits, they reveal them. They don't create the deficits, they reveal them. It reveals my weakness. It reveal, they reveal my pride. They reveal my self-centeredness. They reveal tr- what's true about me and my flesh and my sin. They reveal what's true about you. But we so quickly, don't we, blame God for them. Look what he says in verse 13. So when, we, when we face trials and, and deficits, um, what do we tend to do? When, when, we, when, we, when, they, when we find ourselves in sin and we see our sin for what it is and we, we recognize that, our, that we over-desire good things and, we're, and, and a trial shows us that, we go, we blame God. Look at the caution. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. But why, why does he have to say that? It's because it feels like that. We go, God, you brought this into my life and, and you know... Why, why am I struggling so? Why do I feel the, why am I so every day feel the desire to go against your law or abdicate and not do the things your law requires? Why am I doing that? God, why are you doing this to me? But God doesn't tempt. God doesn't He's not out to get us. Have you ever felt that way? Let's just be I mean, you don't have to raise your hand. You just have you ever felt like I think God's out to get me? No. He says, let no one say when he's tempted God, that he's tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. The desire, when he has conceived, gives birth to sin, and when it's fully grown, brings forth death. And that's what happens when the, when the heat turns up in life, when things get hard. We're looking for some sort of control, or security, or, or rest, 
And the truth of the matter is, we'll look for it in wrong things. We'll look for it in good things and go, well, my my spouse will be my, my rock and my shield and my refuge. And guess what? Your spouse can't do that. You look to your parents. Well, that, you know, they can't do that. You look to your children and say, well, I'll just pour everything into them. They can't, they can't do that. You'll, but we can also turn to sinful things like pornography. We can turn to things like the materialism and love of money. I'm going to find some security, some comfort outside of myself because things are so hard. And when you do that, it's not God making you sin. He's actually doing what? He's showing Grant the depth of my sin. He's showing me where I fall short. He's showing me my idols. He's showing you that as well. He didn't make you sin. He's not tempting you to sin. But He shows us our sinfulness. What else does it, our trials and te- this testing of our faith reveal? It reveals our sin and our over-desires, but also our weakness, our frailty. It shows us that we're not in control. Look at verses 9 through 11. That, that used to always seem like he just dropped that in there out of nowhere. Like, where, where does that come from? Well, he's talking about the goal is to be lacking in nothing and be complete, but he's saying... We, we try to fool ourselves into thinking we're actually something. That we're actually complete and self-sufficient. And one of the ways we do this, a lot, even 2,000 years ago, is through how, what? Finances. I have the right stuff. I have, the right, I have enough money. I'm good. I'm self-sufficient. I'm prepared for anything that may come. You know, um, is it good to have an emergency savings account? Yes. Uh, we have one and we try to keep putting money into it because, you know what, it's a fallen world, things happen that we can't plan for. Can we put all of our hope in that? Shouldn't. <laughs> um, could two or three things that cost $20,000 come up in one week? It could. <laughs> and, you know, that's way more than we've got. You know, so whatever, you know, so like, that, it can happen. And so what, where's my security? Where's that lie? Look what he says. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation. He's boasting in what? Exalting himself, knowing being exalted. So it's an acknowledgement that God is the one who raises up. Let the lowly brother praise God for his successes. Let the what? The rich boast and thank God in his humiliation. And what the Lord gives and what the Lord taketh away. You, you recognize that it's all the Lord. He's sovereign over that. And also, because like a flower of the field, he will pass away. Why should we give, give thanks to the Lord in the blessings and in the losses? It's because we're not in charge of anything. We're frail. We're creatures. We're not infinite, eternal, and unchangeable like God. We are, we are dependent on Him. We're made to be so. There is nothing we really can, we really have no control over tomorrow. And some of you are going, oh, this is such a great sermon, thanks. Uh, but it's true, okay? We really don't. And he's reminding us that. He says, for the sun rises with the scorching heat and withers the grass and the flower falls and his beauty perishes, so also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. So finances do not secure, do not ensure that you'll complete your list. All your pursuits will be fulfilled. 
And that's just one of many things we can look to in our pride to say, this is why I'm going to succeed. This is why I'm okay. Um, my marriage is above reproach and nothing can touch it. Uh, my finances, my job is so secure. Uh, my, my, you know, my church attendance, my Bible reading, even good things, right? I can, that's going to keep... I'm, I'm good. But, man, this is one that's easy to fall into looking to our material, what we have, what we own, how much money's in the bank. But the trial, it could be a loss of job, it could be a loss of uh, a, a, a bad investment, it shows our weakness, our frailty. That we're not in control. And that's good. It's good to see your sinfulness is good to see your frailty, and also it shows us our pride and our fear. And that's in 5 through 8. He says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person was not supposed that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man and stable in all his ways. It shows our pride. And, and who in here likes to ask for help? Okay, who likes to offer help? Everybody. Who likes to receive help? Nobody. You know, except some of the kids in here, teenagers are going, yeah, I love it. You know? It's great. Yeah. You know? I mean, my kids are like, hey, can you make your own toast? They look at me like, what? Can't you do it? Anyway, um... They can, and they do, and they're good. They're good with that. Uh, but it's like, I don't want to, no, you do it. Um, but somewhere along the way, we feel like, no, it's wrong to ask for help. And why do we, don't, why do we not want to ask for help? What, what is, what's motivating that? I, I don't want to admit that I can't do it. All the wives are going, yes, any man before the internet and Google Maps came along, you know, I do not want to stop and ask for directions. And now we can do it in our car and be like, yeah, I don't need directions. Oh, yeah, okay, okay. Yeah, yeah, I'm looking at it, you know. Uh, I can kind of hide that I'm, you know, don't know where I'm going. Anyway, but we don't want to admit it. We don't want to ask. We don't want to reveal that we actually uh, have a lack in wisdom. We don't want to reveal that we don't know. We don't want to actually admit that we don't know what we're doing <laughs> in life. There's pride there. Um, and, and we do that with each other all the time. Um, we sin and we're, we, we find ourselves struggling and we're in a cycle of sin. And instead of, instead of going, hey, I need help. I, I'm, I'm, I'm in, the, I'm in the, the, the grips of an addiction. I'm in, I'm, in a, I'm in a deep, dark place with anxiety and depression. Instead of that, we just kind of smile and keep going and hide it. And just because we're trying to convince everyone and maybe even ourselves that I got this. But there are times God brings us to the end of ourselves through trials and makes us have to admit, I don't have this. And again, that's a good thing. It's good to be brought to the end of yourself. It's good to realize that you are not sufficient in and of yourself for life. 
It also shows us our fear. What are we afraid of when we ask for help? Why are we afraid to go, I don't know this? You should have learned this by now. You should know better. You have to ask me again? How many of you have been in a job where you had like a harsh manager and you had that one day of training and you just kept doing the thing wrong because you are not going to ask that person how to do it again? Have you ever done that? Like, I am not going to cross this person. I'm just, I'll just keep doing it wrong because someone says something, you know. And there's some jobs you get away with that if you're stocking shelves. But like, you're doing surgery, you should probably ask, right? Don't. I notice a lot of deaths. Um, you need to ask. But we do it because we're afraid. We're afraid of reproach. We're afraid of, of people being angry with us and being shamed for not knowing. What does it say? What does it start out saying? Verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, it doesn't say, how dare you. <laughs> it doesn't say, is not the Spirit at work in your life. It doesn't say, haven't you read your Bible today? It doesn't say any of that. It doesn't go... It doesn't just say silent and just look at you with this kind of stink eye. What does it say? It says, let him ask God who gives generously without reproach. To who? Well, to everyone. And it will be given to him. I want to bring you to the end of yourself, God says. I want you to see and feel your weakness, your frailty, your insufficiency in and of yourself. And I want you to come to the point of asking for help. Asking me. Looking to me. Knowing that I give generously. And I'm not going to make you feel bad about it. Have you ever been reproached for not knowing something? I've done it to my kids. I have. I'm sorry. They're too back there. They know. They're just asking. They just legitimately forgot what I said. What do you mean you forgot? God never does that. God does not. That is not in His... He can't do it. He can't look at you and me as His, as his children and ever think... Oh, I'm so mad that they need me. He's going, that's it. That's right. That's exactly how you're supposed to live life. Lord God, not just... How many of you have done this prayer? Lord God, this is really hard right now. I don't know what's going on. Uh, just help me not be angry about it. Are you even asking? You're just saying, help your attitude. Have you ever gone, Lord, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do with my marriage, with my kids, my job. Lord, would you work in this? Would you give me wisdom? Don't just improve my attitude. See, we get messed up. We, we read the first verse here, count it all joy when you face various trials, and we, go, and we go to God and go, help me like this trial. Instead of going, Lord God, I am struggling, I'm overwhelmed. And like the Psalms say, I'm struggling with whether or not you're there or not. I'm, I feel like the whole world is closing in on me. Lord, would you deliver me? That's asking. I don't, I don't know what to do. Give me wisdom. Put wise people in my life. Give, bring the brothers and sisters who've walked this, this, this path before me and help me. Would you provide what I lack and pray 
sincerely knowing that he can do it and he will do it. He talks about being double-minded and having doubt. And I used to read that and go, well, I guess I'm not getting anything. You ever read that? So I think we all have doubts, but I think what he means is going back, being double-minded in, Lord, only you can help me or I got this. Lord, I don't... You ever just prayed and go, Lord God, I don't know what to do. Help me. And then go. Let me make a list and we'll figure this out. And it's like, wait a minute. <laughs> what? What? I, I don't know. I got it. Like, I didn't know two seconds ago, but I, I prayed. Now I'm going to figure it out. It's, sometimes you just have to wait. And just live in the, in the tension. I hate that, by the way. And so do you. We hate that, but... Lord, Lord, would you work this out? I can't change my friend's heart. I can't change my kid's attitude. I can't make my, you know, my spouse think the way I do. I can't, I can't make the situation at work. I can't change the economy. I, can't, I don't know how to change or affect the heart of the president or our senators. I, there's so much I can't do. Lord, would you do it? And just leave it with him? Instead of like we all do, Lord, I need you. Only you can do this. I got it. That's the double-mindedness. Because I can pray the prayer, then in a few minutes I can think, okay, he's not going to do that. Or he can't do it. Or I'm not counting it joyfully enough for him to do something for me. (laughs) Or he's probably mad that I asked him for this. And again, what's the truth? The truth is, God meets us in our need. He shows us our need, and then he meets us in our need. The wisdom you and I lack, He provides. He doesn't show us deficits and leave us there. He shows us our weakness and deficits so that we can find fulfillment in Him. That He can meet those needs. And that we will be desperately seeking Him to do that. He gives generously, not just just enough, not just a, a little bit, not just a small portion. Generously He gives when we ask Him, and, he's, it's, and it's always without reproach. It's never with shame, it's never with anger. It's like, of course you can't do this. Of course, world, this world is too much. Of course, your sin is too much. Of course, your family's problems are too much. Of course, the work problems are too much. Of course, inflation is too much. Of course, you know, whatever it is. He's going, of course. Trials reveal our need, our, our, our sin, our over-desires, our weakness, our frailty. But God says, when you're weak, I am strong. My power is made perfect in your weakness. Paul is getting at the same things that James is getting at here. He who lack wisdom, he will give generously without reproach. Believe it. Trust it. And here's the third point. Our joy, where's that joy come in? Where's the count it all joy? Our joy is then rooted in God's character and His goal for us. It's never been, oh, this really hurts. This is fun. No. No, of course it's not. But it's in the midst of the, the feeling my frailty and feeling my weakness and feeling the hurt and feeling the pain going, God, you have a goal for me, for all of us. All this is plural, by the way. It's talking about 
corporately. He's got a goal for all of us. And His character is sure and unchanging. Look what it says first. Joy is rooted in God's character and His goal for us. Character, verse 17. What does it say? Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation of shadow due to change. That includes the trial. That includes the testing. Right? That includes the feelings, feeling our weakness and feeling our frailty and feeling, seeing our sin. That comes from a good, good father. And, you know, when you read that, if you're like me, we just got through studying Revelation, you think about Jesus on the, 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 the throne and the bright shining sun, you know, like brighter than the sun, white light emanating. And here's, here's God the Father with that same de- uh, description, Right? It comes from the Father, the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or, or shadow due to change. And you imagine that gaze, that, that bright light gaze of your loving Father. And He says, there's no shadow due to change. He's not ever turning from you. The gaze of God, His acceptance, His love for you, is never, never does one of these where you're left in the shadows. It's, it's the ironic benediction. I mean, God, the God of... Well, I'm thinking I got benediction messed up. What is it? Uh, may His face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May He lift His countenance, His gaze upon you and give you peace. That's always looking at you, at me, with love and acceptance. And He's giving us blessings and also bringing us through tests and trials out of love, loving discipline, loving God. It's all good and perfect gifts that come from Him. And look at also verses, verse 12, the first part of verse 12. He's a God who's good and He gives perfectly. He's not going to give us something that's going to hurt us. And then verse 12 it says, um, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who loved him. He is a God who is faithful and keeps his promises. You know, it's, it's not based on how well you do here. Look, it's, it says, you know, stand, stand, be steadfast. You know, show the stickability, the steadfastness, this endurance... You'll receive the crown of life. Why? Because God has promised it to those who love Him. If you've been given the gift of faith by God and you love Him, He will what? See you all the way through. It's not your perfect obedience, your perfect endurance. It's God's faithfulness that will see you all the way home. You get it? He is faithful. He is good. Our joy is rooted in that. When I'm struggling, God, you're good. You've shown that what? Ultimately, in, the, in, your, in your life, your death, your resurrection, Lord Jesus Christ. You show that. You did that for me. You're a good God. You're a faithful God. I can look to His character even in the midst of, of, of desperate times and hard things. And I also look to His goal for us. His character and His goal for us. What's His goal for us? I've already mentioned it 
uh, before. Verse 4, His goal is that steadfastness would have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Verse 12, His goal for you and me, His, bro- his, his children, is that what? We would have the crown of life. After we've, we've, we've stood the test, we will have the crown of life, of glory. And in verse 18, He has brought us forth by the word of truth so that we should be a kind of first fruits of His creatures. That's His goal. And all through this passage, He's reminding you, yes, it's hard. Yes, I'm calling you to live a life that reflects the glory of Christ. But look, I'm going I'm to make sure you're conformed to that image. I'm going to do the work. I'm going to make sure you're conformed. I'm, that I'm going to bring you forth by the word of truth. And part of the ways I'm going to do that is by bringing you through tests and trials to the end of yourself to show you and me, to show us our need and to show us that He can supply our need. That's the goal. That's the goal of these tests and the trials of life. We doubt, we think we're enough, and we're not. We doubt God's enough, and He is. And growing in grace, growing as a Christian, is not getting it right more, but believing right more, and depending on God more and more and more. Christ, in His humanity was perfected through suffering. He grew in wisdom and stature as he had to not learn what's right and wrong, but as he had to live it out and experience it. And he did that through what? Through suffering. And he calls us to the same thing. He calls us to the same thing. And so look, what, I'm, what I want you to take away is if you're, right, if you're here this morning and you are down here and nothing... Nothing makes sense and nothing seems to fit and, and you're angry with God this morning. It's okay. Um, he can deal with our anger. And the call of this passage is to, is to ask God for help. When he shows us our sin, when he shows us our weakness, when he shows us our, our, our fear and our pride, is to, Lord God, help me see your love. Help me feel your love. Help me know your good. Help me know how to love this person that's hard to love in my life. Help me to know the right decision to make here. I don't know. I am weak and I'm overwhelmed. Meet me in that. Be my refuge and my strength in time of trouble. The more we do that, the more that becomes a natural reaction, just a natural, you know, uh, movement for us. Is to immediately when we're struggling, just to just to rest in God's grace and His faithfulness. That's what it means to to grow in steadfastness. Not that we figured all out and don't need God, but that we have a reflex of again and again. Resting and looking to Him when we're struggling. Um, Jesus came to save struggling sinners. Um, this meal is to remind us of that. When we feel unworthy, when we feel overwhelmed, we feel like, how can we have a seat at the table? 
This is why he says, as long as you gather together, do this in remembrance of me. We need to know that he is our refuge and our strength, our, our help in time of trouble. He is the wisdom we lack. He is the one we need. And he meets us and, 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 and helps us without shame, without reproach, generously, faithfully, and brings us all the way home. Where we will receive the crown of life. We will be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Let's pray. Gracious God, we thank you for this, your word. And we ask that you would do that. That you would complete the good work you began in us. And that you would help us to see that even the tests and the trials we face are unto that end. Lord, help us to, to see and to know and be reminded of your goodness. To see and to know and be reminded of your faithfulness. And to, as we cry out to you, see you fulfill our needs, Lord. Um, may we set up many Ebenezer stones along the way. May we help one another as we see one another uh, struggling and drowning to, to, to remind us, each other as brothers and sisters, that we, uh, we are needy and helpless and that God has put us in our lives to help one another. So Lord, uh, show us our need, meet us in our need. We know you will. Help us to believe it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.